This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. At least 12 people were killed and dozens hospitalised as a result of a shelling attack in Zaporizhia, according to Ukrainian officials. The city in southeast Ukraine, which is around 52 kilometres from a Russian-held nuclear power plant, was hit by 12 Russian missiles overnight, said Oleksandr Staruk, the governor of the region. Russia's foreign ministry claimed traffic had resumed on the only bridge linking the occupied Crimean Peninsula to Russia, hours after it was hit by an explosion. The bridge is a crucial supply line for Russian forces in southern Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russia appointed Sergei Sorovikin, a general with a reputation for ruthlessness, as its battlefield commander in Ukraine. The Kremlin praised OPEC+, a group of petroleum-exporting countries and their allies, which includes Russia, for agreeing to oil production cuts. Joe Biden, America's president, had pushed to prevent the cuts as he faces rising fuel prices ahead of America's midterm elections. Dmitry Peskov, the Kremlin's spokesman, described the decision as, quote, balanced, while Janet Yellen, America's Treasury Secretary, called it, quote, unhelpful. Alexander van der Bellen, Austria's president, won a second term, defeating the populist opposition by a wider margin than in 2016. With 65% of the votes counted, Mr van der Bellen had 55.4% of ballots, while Walter Rosenkrantz of the Freedom Party, a far-right group, had 18.4%. The party of Germany's Chancellor won the most votes in regional elections in the northwestern state of Lower Saxony, according to early results. The Social Democrats, SPD, took 33% of the vote. But the Liberal Free Democrats, who govern in coalition with the SPD at the federal level, appeared to have barely passed the 5% threshold to enter Parliament. The hard-right alternative for Germany doubled its vote share to nearly 12%. Nicola Sturgeon, Scotland's First Minister, said she was, quote, confident that a Scottish independence referendum could be held next year, despite the British government's refusal to approve such a vote. On Tuesday, Britain's top court will hear a case about whether or not a plebiscite can go ahead. Scots rejected independence in 2014. Iran's state-run broadcaster appeared to be hacked when a news bulletin was interrupted by a protest against the country's supreme leader. The broadcast was replaced with an image of Ayatollah Ali Khamenei surrounded in flames. Despite a violent crackdown, protesters continued to rally across the country over the death of a 22-year-old woman, Masa Armini, in police custody in September. And fact of the day, 26%. The share of Lesotho's population who say they're satisfied with the country's democracy, half the regional average. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Taiwan's National Day Monday is National Day in Taiwan. This year's slogan is, quote, Defending Our Land Together, a fitting theme given persistently high tensions in the Taiwan Strait. 
In August, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of America's House of Representatives, visited the self-governing island and called her country's support for Taiwan, quote, ironclad. China responded with military exercises to show its ability to blockade the island, which China regards as part of its territory. Tsai Ing-wen, Taiwan's president, wants to signal that Taiwan is uncowed by Chinese threats. Her government has continued to welcome delegations from America, Canada, Germany, Japan, and other friendly countries. It has also increased defense spending and is mulling extensions to conscription. But opinion polls indicate low confidence in Taiwan's ability to fend off a Chinese invasion. Non-governmental groups offer to train people in civil defense, but their reach is small. National Day is a chance to bolster public resolve. Making Russia a Pariah The diplomatic battle over Ukraine moves to the UN General Assembly on Monday when delegates debate a Western resolution condemning Russia's annexation of four Ukrainian provinces and demanding its full withdrawal from occupied lands. Russia vetoed a similar move in the Security Council last month. It cannot do so in the General Assembly, but the body's resolutions are not binding. Instead, the vote, which may take place on Wednesday, is intended to isolate the Kremlin. Repeatedly humiliated at the UN, Russia wants a secret vote. But the West is nervous too. It secured a 141-5 to vote against Russia in March, but many countries are weary of the war. This week, most attention will be on the fence-sitters, among them many poor states and the likes of Brazil, China, Gabon, and India, which abstained in the Security Council. Getting fewer than 100 yes votes, the number that condemned Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014, would be a blow to Ukraine. Overflowing in-trays at the IMF and the World Bank Policymakers from around the world gather in Washington on Monday for a week of annual meetings of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, amid sharply deteriorating conditions for the global economy. Russia's war in Ukraine has dashed the cautious optimism expressed last year. The energy crisis and soaring inflation will occupy participants. New IMF forecasts are likely to project that economies accounting for at least one-third of the global output will soon be in recession. Kristalina Gorgieva, the IMF's managing director, has warned that geopolitical and financial sector risks mean that conditions are more likely to worsen than improve. Officials will look for opportunities to cooperate on inflation fighting and debt relief in hopes of reducing the pain felt by the most vulnerable. Given the harsh reality of war, there is only so much they can do. Will J.D. Vance advance? Ohio hosts its first debate between two candidates for the Senate, the Republican J.D. Vance and his Democratic opponent Tim Ryan on Monday. The Buckeye State is a fairly safe Republican stronghold, but Mr. Vance, a venture capitalist who came to prominence after writing Hillbilly Elegy, a best-selling book about the culture of Appalachians, has struggled. He and Mr. Ryan are in a dead heat. The Democratic candidate has raised enormous sums from small donors. 
Mr. Vance's campaign has sounded almost apocalyptic at times, focusing on the threats supposedly posed to Ohio from illegal immigrant drug pushers and their Democrat enablers. Donald Trump has stumped with him, as has Mr. Trump's son, Don Jr. Many Republican candidates across the country are chasing the former president's supporters. The reaction to Monday's debate will indicate whether the double Trump endorsement can push Mr. Vance over the line. A new pipeline to help Germany this winter. As winter approaches, all eyes in Europe are on the continent's gas supplies and whether anything can be done to ease dependence on Russia. Storage facilities are almost full, but Germany lacks enough import capacity to meet demand through shipped liquefied natural gas. On Monday, a retrofitted pipeline from France will open, providing relief of around 4,000 gigawatt hours per month around 3% of Germany's demand in a typical winter month. Whether that's enough depends on the weather and on Germans' willingness to put on an extra jumper. The country's gas network regulator has called once more on households to cut back in order to avoid gas rationing. Germany's eastern and southern neighbors, including Ukraine, will depend on supplies from the west, too. A new floating terminal in the Netherlands has started receiving deliveries to fill pipelines going east, but gas will remain scarce in Central and Eastern Europe. Hope for a mild and rainy Christmas. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home, city, and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Who was the successor to Moses as leader of the Israelites? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Edith Piaf, who died on this day in 1963. All I've done all my life is disobey. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening 